We are diving in to week 19. You guys like that I made it white instead of black so you can actually see what it says? Uh, sorry about that. I'm I, not the best when it comes to getting things on the projector, but I did it this week. So, woohoo! All right, we're week 19 of our uh, sermon series. I saw the light through the Gospel of John. Um, the title of the sermon, if you're taking notes, is Sin No More. And we are in John chapter 8. Now, I will be honest. It took us 15 weeks to get through John chapter 5. Yeah, 15 weeks to get through John chapter 5. But we're in week 4 since then, 16, 17, 18, 19. Week 4 since then, and we've moved three chapters. So, so we're picking up the pace. Um, but with picking up the pace, we're in chapter 8. And we're only going to get through verse 11 tonight. Uh, I did my notes differently than I've ever done my notes. Um, I couldn't find my notebook. Uh, so how many of you guys have found the cool... It was invented, actually, I, I learned this on a trivia game. It was invented in 1978 um, by the company 3M. And uh, they are about, oh, two and a half inches by two and a half inches and whatnot. Uh, it, it, yeah, post-it notes. How many of you guys have ever used post-it notes before? Yeah, okay. Uh, post-it notes helped me get through college. And I was like, wait, why can't they help me get through Bible study? So I put all my notes... On post-it notes <laughs> in my Bible, it's crazy. So uh, uh, I'm not adding to the Word of God just for anyone who got theologically scared. Uh, no, it's just my notes. I'll take them out when I'm done. Uh, but we're in John chapter eight, and uh, let me see your Bibles. I know Ryan already forgot his Bible. Uh, Ryan, I'm going to rebuke you from the pulpit. Is that okay? Uh-huh. No, I won't do that. But uh, Ryan's a stud. We love Ryan. Ryan brings his Bible every week. Uh, to both youth group and to this takes a lot of notes uh, and so I know he is hurting more than I am hurting not having his Bible, right Ryan? Yeah, alright, let me see your Bibles, I just want to see them okay, the smartphone Bibles regular Bibles, if you need a Bible, who, who would like just to hold a Bible tonight as we look? Okay uh, there's a few Bibles back there um, and Ben's going to come back and grab them Ryan would like to see one uh, if possible, John, I think there's one with a pink leather strap uh, you can give the little one with a pink leather strap to Ryan, because I think that's the only other one we have. Uh, so, uh, yeah, get your Bibles, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8. When you get to John chapter 8, let me know by saying holla. And then when you're not there, or if you're not there yet, let me know by saying hold up. Hold up. All right, hurry up. Hurry up, Ryan. You forget your Bible, then you make me wait. Come on, man, high needs. All right, John chapter 8. Uh, let's do this thing, guys. We're going to read... And then we're going to dive in uh, to the message. This is what it says. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came to him and he sat down and he was teaching them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had seen her and set her in the midst, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such is to be stoned. But what do you say? And this they said, testing him, that they might have something to accuse him with. But Jesus stooped down, and he wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. And so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin amongst you, let him throw the first stone. And he again stooped down and began to write in the ground. And those who heard it, being convicted of their conscience, 
went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and with the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw that no one was with the women, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Dear God, I just pray that as we spend these next few moments looking at what your perfect word has to say, God, I pray that each and every single one of us would be impacted by what your word has to say. God, I pray that you would soften our hearts even right now, God, as we're just coming into this time of prayer before we look at your word. Uh, God, I pray that you would soften our hearts right now. Uh, God, for those of us who may have uh, some rocky sections in our hearts, for those of us who may uh, just have full hearts of stone, uh, God, I pray that you would soften our hearts so that we would hear the truth of your word, God, and that your word would penetrate our heart. Your word tells us that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it cuts through, God, all our fleshliness, gets down to the meatiness of our heart, God, and it reveals to us the intentions of our heart. Uh, God, we pray that you uh, would reveal that truth uh, to us. God, that each and every single one of us would leave this place different than when we came. God, we pray that when we approach your word, your word uh, would inspire us, your word would encourage us, but God, that your word would challenge us. Uh, God, may we be challenged by what your word has to say. God, I pray that tonight none of these would be my words, but God, these would be your words. God, that you would speak through me. Uh, anything that would be of me may fall on deaf ears or may not even be able to get it out of my mouth. Uh, but God, that your perfect word comes through. So God, we thank you and we praise you. And your son's wonderful. In beautiful name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. 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 What we're going to do, guys, is we're going to kind of go verse by verse, because um, there's a lot in this story. Uh, I think if we were to uh, go around the room and ask each one of you, what is one thing that stuck out to you, uh, we'd probably get a lot of different things. Uh, and so we're not going to do that, even though that would be a fun exercise. But we're going to go verse by verse. We're really going to look uh, at what uh, God's Word has to say and what it has to speak um, to us. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 3. Actually, no. We're going to pick up in verse 1. Uh, and then uh, we're really going to start, start in verse 3. But uh, it says Jesus went up to the Mount of Olives, um, and then he goes down into the temple. If you remember last week in chapter 7, uh, we had what was the Feast of Tabernacles, it was a long hustle and bustle week. Everything was going on. Jesus was just trying to relax. So he goes up to the Mount of Olives because how many of you guys know it's okay to relax? Okay. Uh, it's okay to relax. So Jesus does his relax and whatnot. Then he goes back down to the temple to talk to people, which is cool. And while he's in the temple, verse 3, it says this, And the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman who was caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. She was caught in the very... Act. And now here's the thing. I want to paint a picture, but I don't want to paint this picture too much because we're at church. But here's the thing. How's it going, Pastor Dave? Hey, I just want to yeah. Everyone say hi, Pastor Dave. Hi. Love you guys. It was epic. Being upstairs in the church meeting with you guys. Amen. Amen. So, so the picture I'm going to paint uh, is, is, is kind of a crazy picture. Jesus is standing in the middle of the temple. So let's just use modern day lingo. Jesus is standing in the middle of the church and he's talking, okay? Uh, most likely he's up preaching, okay? And, and he's teaching the people. Uh, and out of nowhere come all these scribes and Pharisees, uh, and they're bringing a woman who they throw before Jesus, uh, and they say, Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery. 
She was caught in the very act. And they throw that in there um, to really paint uh, a picture. There's a very good chance uh, that this woman was dragged from wherever she was, uh, probably very wearing very little clothing, if any, and thrown before the feet of Jesus in the midst of all the people. It says, uh, when they had set her in the midst. So this is like the most humiliating uh, situation that can happen to someone. Uh, they were caught in sin, uh, let alone a sexual sin, and now they are being dragged and paraded in front of a bunch of people uh, and then thrown at the feet of Jesus in the temple, uh, completely unclean, completely unkept, uh, in a place that is supposed to be clean. And uh, they asked Jesus, Jesus, what are we to do? The law and Moses says we are to stone her. But what do you say? Uh, and here's the thing. If Jesus were to answer, uh, and, it, and it says they did this to set him in a trap because they knew that if Jesus were to answer, well, yeah, the law says stoner, uh, that would go against uh, Jesus' persona as being a friend of the sinners. They, 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 they really try and trap Jesus in this whole, uh, all right, Jesus, well, what would you do in this situation? And we've seen the, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees, we've seen them do this to Jesus throughout the book of John so far. They come up to Jesus with a trick question, and then Jesus always does his Jesus juke, and you can use that hashtag Jesus juke, uh, and, and he's, uh, he, he throws them for a loop, and he does something crazy here. We're going to get to what he does that's really crazy. Um, but here, here's one thing I want to point out. If these guys really wanted justice, you guys, if, if, if these dudes who bring this woman caught in adultery before Jesus, if they really wanted justice, because that's not what they wanted at all. They just wanted to trick Jesus. Uh, and, and trap Jesus and get him to say something that he didn't mean at the time. Um, if they truly wanted justice, uh, why did they not bring the man? Okay, I mean, it takes two to tango. Uh, so why wouldn't they bring the man? Uh, why would they bring the woman? Uh, and many theologians and scholars have believed that the reason why they didn't bring the man was because this was a whole setup to begin with. That the man actually was just there so that all his buddies, his Pharisees, who were, look at this, we can even use this as an example, who were hiding behind the curtains, and then they pop out, they're like, ha, oh, we got you! And then the dude's like, ha yeah, we got you. He throws on his priestly robes and is like, hey, now let's go drag her before Jesus. This was a setup, okay? And they set this girl up. Uh, and, I mean, that's terrible. Uh, and, and, and we could stop there and just spend hours talking about how terrible that is. Um, and then it could lead us into a whole thing about how that kind of stuff still happens today. And women uh, are being abused. Women are being trafficked. And we, and we could go down this whole uh, uh, bunny rabbit trail on this. And, and, and we'll save that for another time because we're going to touch on it through a few points in here. But these guys, they didn't care about justice. And so here's the mini-sermon. We should be people who care about justice. Okay, Justice is a very important thing. Um, but Jesus does something crazy. How many of you guys like it when Jesus does crazy stuff? Okay, uh, Jesus, uh, he's not the cool little flannel graph Jesus who was white with a cool brown beard who was just walking around with some paintings. He had the red sash, some paintings he had the blue sash, you know, and he was just kind of like, ooh. Okay, no, Jesus was crazy at times, and he did some pretty crazy things, which is awesome, and I love that about Jesus. When they say, Jesus, what should we do? What should we do? This is what the law says. What should we do? What does Jesus do? He bends down on the ground and he starts drawing pictures in the sand 
And it says here, as if he did not hear them. Jesus is officially ignoring the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes. He's just like, ignore fest, ready, go. And, and, and these guys are like, what on earth is going on? Well, here's the thing. Um, it was a few thousand years earlier that God wrote using his finger in the stone, thou shalt not commit adultery. But now a few thousand years later, God is having an opportunity to once again use his finger to write something down on the ground that is going to utterly change the history of salvation, the history of God's grace. Uh, so then the question, yeah, I, this is always fun. I always do this whenever I preach out of this section. I always want to ask people, well, what do you think Jesus was doing when he was down riding on the ground? Okay, so, so some people think doodling. I've heard someone say, yeah, he was drawing like smiley faces and stuff. Like, okay, cool idea. Anyone else got an idea? Ben? So he was like drawing pretty much, like thinking about like this, he was writing, he was writing letters, right? Like, okay. That, wasn't he doing well, it that? just says he it, it just says he bent down and started putting his finger in the dirt. So it actually doesn't tell us what he was doing. So think about like the Ten Commandments. Okay, so we could have been writing the Ten Commandments. Very good, very good. What's another thing Jesus could have been doing? Anyone else want to take a guess? Who's playing tic tac toe? No, okay, no one thinks he was playing tic tac toe. <laughs> um, Against the what's that? Against Against the chicken, yeah, because chickens walk in the sand, yeah. Um, well, I actually, as I was doing my studying, um, I, I saw that it was pointed out um, by a theologian that maybe, because we don't actually know, for all we know, he could have just been drawing smiley faces. But uh, one theologian points out that he could be writing uh, down something that was prophesied in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13. Uh, you guys don't have to turn there, but write it down and go look at it for yourself. But it says this in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13. It says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all those who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who departed from you, they shall be written down in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord and the fountain of the living waters. So what, these, what this theologian suggests is, hey, he's writing down the names of those who had forsaken him. And he's writing down the names of those people who are standing there with stones in their hands. Just to go on a little bit further, uh, verse 7, uh, when, it, when it says, Jesus then gets up from the ground again and he says, uh, He who is without sin amongst you, let him throw the first stone. Um, the theologian J. Allen Blair actually properly translates the Greek here. Uh, and looks at the, the tenses of the <clears throat> verbs in the Greek, and it actually reads this. And this is kind of crazy when you think about it. It says, He who is among you without the same sin, throw the first stone. So Jesus kind of like messes with their minds a little bit. Did you say that was translation? Yes. Uh, that, that is a more proper translation of the Greek, uh, and that's by J. Allen Blair. Uh, who's a commentator, a theologian. And so here's the crazy thing about this. Jesus now says, hey, who, who among you is without this very same sin? He's reading their mail a little bit. He's saying, hey, all you dudes, you guys all struggle with your sexual addictions. You all struggle with this, this, and that. Uh, hey, who are you to cast a stone? Uh, and so it's kind of just crazy uh, to see what Jesus does. Let's go back a little bit, lest we get uh, ahead of ourselves. But I heard it said... Uh, one time um, in, in, in a commentary uh, on uh, this section of Scripture that right here Jesus 
uh, gives us a, an example of what it means to be an advocate. How many of you guys know what an advocate is? Anyone want to give me a definition of advocate? Ryan, you raised your hand. You got a definition for me? Okay, you don't want to give a definition. Does anyone want to give it? What was that? Yeah, it's when you stand up for someone and, and when you take their place and you advocate for them. I know in English you can't use the word to describe the word, but an advocate is someone who advocates, okay? Um, it's okay to do that. Okay? Uh, it's all right. In, in, in theology, they don't tell you you can't do that. It's totally fine. Uh, but Jesus uh, is, is showing what it means uh, to be an advocate. They quote the law, uh, and Jesus says... Uh, nothing. Jesus says absolutely nothing when they quote the law. In all reality, he stoops down to the ground and he begins to do something. Uh, and what this does a good job of pointing out is that uh, an advocate is someone uh, who is slow to speak. Someone who will not uh, jump in right away with their accusations like, hey man, I can't believe you did that. No, an advocate is someone who's slow to speak and quick to listen. All right, what's going on? What's going on? I want to hear what's going on so I can see the justice that is to be done. I think if if each and every single one of us took a few moments, maybe it wouldn't even take a few moments, maybe it would just take a few seconds, uh, if we were to examine ourselves, uh, and if we were all to be honest with ourselves, uh, it's very easy uh, for uh, our attitudes to shift when we get in certain situations, uh, and we've begun to have the attitude uh, of someone who's an accuser. Uh, it's very easy for us to become those who make accusations about people. It's very easy for us to be people who pick up rocks and be ready to throw them uh, at people. Let's be honest, right? Okay, how many of us have had stones in our hands uh, at any point in our lives? Yeah, I know me. I, 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 I've had stones in my hands ready to throw like, hey, not like literal stones, but like I see someone going through something and I'm very quick to accuse them and point out what they've done wrong and go in at them. Um, and the crazy thing is we tend to look at ourselves and we say, well, I'm not an accuser, I'm not an accuser. Uh, but the thing is, it's, it, it's all in the attitude. It's, it, it's maybe not what we say, it's maybe not uh, the way we look at things, but our body language, it's in our attitude. We can be very much uh, accusers. Um, and uh, I, I heard it said once that accusers have levels of lostness. Okay? Accusers, uh, they... They put all these different levels together like, okay, well, sinner A uh, is a sinner who stole a candy bar uh, when he was a little kid. Okay, so that's one level. Well, maybe sinner B, uh, maybe they stole a car when they were in high school. That's pretty bad, you know. Or, or, or sinner C is over here uh, doing this and that. Well, sinner D, he killed someone, you know. Like, yeah, he, he's a pretty bad dude. And we begin to put levels on things. We, put to, we begin to put different grades on sin. That's not how God sees sin. What's that? Oh, sin. Yeah, no, that's a, and then Islam goes even further, and it's crazy. But no, accusers, uh, they have these different levels of, uh, of lostness, and I see this uh, in my own life, okay? Like me, uh, when I look at people, it's, 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 it's not the funnest thing to be able to say, but I, in my own life, uh, I look at different situations, and I say, well, that person's more lost than that person. And I don't mean to, but I just do, and uh uh, that's not a good thing uh, by any means. And it's very easy for us to throw rocks uh, at people because of our predisposed uh, uh, levels of, of, of lostness that we see in people. 
um, I can't tell you how many times I've been uh, around people, um, and and I've been around uh, friends, both Christian and non-Christian, but I can't tell you how many times I've been around Christians uh, who who will throw jabs at people, not even really knowing they're throwing jabs at people, but they do it because they feel, well, that person's more lost than I am, and, and they begin to throw jabs at, like, maybe it's an actor or someone, or let's not go and... because. We, we've all said things about music artists and actors and stuff, but at the same time, a lot of people, without saying things, when they look at maybe a guy standing on the side of the road with a sign, they think something in their head, and they begin to accuse that person of something that they don't even know that person. I mean, they don't know that person's story, but we begin to accuse because we have this attitude of an accuser rather than that of the attitude uh, of an advocate. Um... And the thing is, we think we can make fun of these people because it's like, well, hey, you know what? You stand here on the freeway. I'm never going to know him, so it's okay to make fun of him. Uh, and, that's, and that's not a good place. Uh, we as Christians easily make fun of people because of their lostness. Um, but here's the thing. they are people just like us, and they have needs just like us. Um, and we need to show them the love of Christ. Uh, and they need someone to show them the love of Christ. And maybe that person uh, is you. Um, I heard it uh, said, uh, how, how many of you guys, actually I didn't hear it said, I heard it rapped. Uh, how many of you guys back in the day listened to KJ52? Yeah. Okay, it's not KJ52, it's KJ52. Uh, and, and he wrote a song, I was on his very first album, this dates me, I was talking to the priest of uh, I'm old and I, I'll just admit it. Uh, and I was listening to KJ52 like back in like sixth grade. Uh, and so, uh, in this room, Joel, you're, you're old also. Yeah. When I was in sixth grade, Joel was in fifth grade. Uh, and probably the next one would be John and Taylor. You guys were in fourth grade back then. But KJ52 came out with this song. Maybe you guys remember it. Uh, it was called Dear Slim. Anyone remember Dear Slim? Okay. KJ52 is a white rapper and he sounds a lot like Eminem. And so everyone's like, well, you sound like Eminem. That's crazy. Like, oh, and they're like, you're the Christian Eminem. He's like, all right, well, I'm going to write Eminem a letter. So he writes Eminem this letter and whatnot. And then uh, some fan of Eminem gives him Eminem a copy of it. They're like, oh, okay, cool. Whatnot. Uh, and then he writes a second song on his second album, like Dear Slim Part 2. Uh, and he goes through this whole thing. And and he says a line in that song that has like stuck with me ever since. And, and, and when I look at this, it's the thing because we so easily take shots at like big like athletes or someone like, oh man, I can't believe he did that, or or or, or a singer, man, I can't believe their lyrics or whatnot. But Slim or, or KJ52 writes this to Eminem, and, and he says, um, a lot of Christians we make fun of you. Uh, but I wonder how many times we take the time to get down on our knees and pray for you. And I was like, whoa, whoa. Because so I remember when I was in school and whatnot, I was the sheltered Christian kid, you know. I was like, man, Eminem is just a fool. Like, like he, he says the dumbest stuff. And, like, and I was just taking all these shots, not even realizing. I'm just taking all these cheap shots at him. When I realized he's just the same as me, he needs grace, he needs Jesus. And, and I, I take all these cheap shots, and then I realized... How often do we, as Christians, and, and, and I really want to address those of us who said, I'm following Jesus. Because when you say you're a Christian, you've now put this thing on your back. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I am walking around as an example of Jesus. This is how Jesus would act. 
How many of us, when we are in public, we make fun of professional athletes, we make fun of professional music artists, we make fun of actors, we make fun of the person who's sitting in the booth just six booths over? How often do we make fun of those people? And then if we were to look at the time it takes to make fun of those people, do we spend equal to or more time praying for them? Because I think if we were to take a survey, we actually don't spend any time praying for them, and we spend all the time making fun of them. Whereas in the 30 seconds it takes to make fun of them, what if you didn't make fun of them and you used those 30 seconds to pray for them? How much different would our world be if we started to look at people the way Jesus looks at people and we see their needs, we see their hurt, and we actually begin to pray for people and then take it to the next step? What if we become advocates and what if we do something about it? We got this sign on our back saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, and if we don't do anything about it, are we truly even following Jesus? I'm not going to make that decision. I'm going to let God make that decision on the last day. But it's something for us to think about. Practical step. Practical step number one is this. Stop and talk to someone and share the love of Jesus with someone. Uh, A few uh, months, it was like a month and a half ago, uh, I was with my dad, uh, and my dad's car had broken down, and he needed to get it towed to a shop, and he got towed to the shop. They were replacing a few spark plugs or whatnot, and he's like, hey, Matt, can you give me a ride to the shop? I was like, all right, I don't want to, but I will. Um, because I'm a big guy, but my dad's a way bigger guy than me, and I have a Pathfinder, uh, and when you get two big guys in the front seats, the Pathfinder gets really, like, tight. Okay, so, so, so me and my dad are, like, driving down the road, and it's like we're... We felt like we were like in a little Cushman or something, but but we're just doing our thing and we drive, and, and our mechanic is on 91st and Stark, and so uh, maybe you've driven this way before, uh, but you go from Clackamas, right, 205, right, and you go, but you can't take the Stark exit because the Stark exit's one more bridge over from the Washington Street exit, so you have to take Washington Street, cross through Washington Street, then you hang your left on Stark because Washington's one way, Stark's the other way, right? You guys all know what I'm saying? Y'all been there? Okay, that, that little off-ramp and whatnot, there's uh, a side here, 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 and then there and whatnot. I mean, there's like eight different places uh, for someone to stand. And I guarantee at any hour you drive there, there's at least one or two homeless people there, uh, if not a whole group of them. And... Uh, we made our way up Washington, or, or, or on the off-ramp, we cut through Washington, uh, we, we turned left on Stark, and when I get up to the light, and I look, and I see this homeless dude standing there uh, with, with this sign and whatnot, um, and I'm driving, and my dad was typing something in on his phone, because, because he, was, he was getting ready to call the mechanic, say, I'm coming, so my dad didn't see anything, but, but the, my dad's head was down just a little bit, and, and he caught eyes with me, and I caught eyes with him. And the natural reaction is for us to be like, oh, gosh, he saw me. Like, like now he thinks I have something for him, you know. Uh, but I, I, like, maintained eye contact with him. And, and, and so when you maintain eye contact with someone who's asking for something, when you maintain eye contact, they're like, okay, he's got something. And so then they begin to walk towards you. And right as he begins to walk toward, and I didn't have anything. I was like, oh, gosh, like, I was, like, going to roll down the window and say, Jesus loves you and whatnot. Uh, but then the light turned green, and I was the front car on the line, and, and he was still 30 yards off, and I was like, all right, I got to go. And so I go, drop my dad off, and, and, and as I'm getting ready to leave, the Holy Spirit had just put it on my heart. I was like, I got to go back, uh, because we made eye contact, and there was something when we made eye contact. They're like, I have to go back and whatnot. And if you know, I've, I've done this whole map for you now, but if you know you, to get back onto 205 or 
to get back to Stark, if you're on 91st and Stark, you have to drop down, go up Washington, cut all the way across the freeway, then loop back around. I mean, it's like an extra mile or so, but I didn't. I was like, I got to go, and, 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 and I got to go, like, just at least tell this guy Jesus loves him. And I get up to the light, and I'm like the third car, and I'm like, dang, now I'm far away. I can't just pull off on the side because it's a busy road. And I was like, all right. And I kid you not, he caught eye contact with me again. It was I don't know if it was he saw my car and he recognized me. He's like, hey, this guy came back. And I was like, shoot, I can't stop. So I drove up, and I found a side street parked. It was like three blocks away. So I hop out of my car, and I realized I've got a full bag of trail mix in my back seat that I didn't use at a tournament I was playing in. So I grabbed the whole bag of trail mix, uh, and, and I was wearing like flip flops, and it was like it was back when it was like twenty something degrees. I'm like, this sucks, and, but it's all good. And so I, I start walking, and I get there, standing uh, across the street from him now. And then he saw me, and I wasn't gonna jaywalk because I was like, I don't know if like I don't want to get in trouble or anything. And he he didn't care. He just runs across the street. He's like, hey man, how's it going? I was like, hey, what's up, brother? And I was like, hey, I got this trail mix for you. Uh, I just want to let you know Jesus loves you. And he's like, oh, sweet man. All the dudes, they're going to be so happy. We'll share all this. And, and apparently there's like a group of them that hang out. Uh, and, and they all collect on all the different things. And they all come together at night and they share what they get. And I was like, wow. I mean, like, like that's really, uh, like, 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 that's very uh, serving of you. I, I just gave you this food and you're going to share it with everyone. I thought that was really cool. Uh, and so I walked with him back to his shopping cart because uh, it was on the way back to my car so he could put it in there. And, and I was like, hey, man, I just want to let you know Jesus loves you uh, and he cares for you and he died for your sins. And, and, and I said, what's your name? And, and I, sh- I shook his hand. His name was Terry. I said, my name is Matt. And I was like, hey, is there anything I can pray with you about? Uh, and and I've been doing ministry with homeless people uh, for a very, very long time. And most of the time, the first thing they ask for is they're like, yeah, man, uh, I, I, I would just like you to pray for me that, that, that God will help me out. Help me get back on my feet, and I, I was expecting that was going to be the first thing he asks, or the first thing he says out of his mouth is, "Hey, man, can you pray for all my buddies who are out here with me who are homeless?" I was like, Dude, "That was very selfless of you." I mean, that was cool, and and, and and then he had a job interview, and we prayed for his job interview and whatnot. Uh, and so, I, and then I just ended up spending a few minutes just talking with him. It was really cool, and then it was getting dark, so I had to get back to my car. Um, and uh, but the thing is, and and, and I've told the story here. Uh, at least once or twice, um, about, it was when I was a sophomore in high school, uh, we were at Generational Leach, which was coming up, uh, and my mom packed me a lunch, because when you're a freshman, sophomore in high school, your mom packs you lunches, you know, so I had this lunch, uh, and I was in the front seat of the car, uh, and we went to Taco Bell, because everyone goes to Taco Bell when you're a high schooler, and, uh, and so I was like, oh, I'll get Taco Bell, and I had like a $5 bill, so I just like loaded up on Taco Bell. And as we made the turn out of the Taco Bell drive-thru, I saw this homeless guy standing here with a sign that says, all I need is food. And I was like, okay, like, I got to give this dude my sack lunch. I got to give it, I mean, I'm not going to eat it, I got to give it to him. And something came up inside me, and I was like, oh, shoot, well, if I, like, make a stop at the car and get out and give this guy lunch, everyone in the car is going to think, oh, Matt's just trying to be extra spiritual and, like, win points with these people, so I was like, oh, okay, no, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, and, and so I didn't, and, uh, and, and the crazy thing is, like, that, like, haunted me, that, like, because I, like, heard the voice of the Lord say, hey, do this thing, and I didn't do it, and, and I made a commitment uh, that day that any time I heard the prompting of the Lord to just go talk to someone or to give someone 
food, I would do it regardless of the situation. And the, and the crazy thing, bringing this full circle, uh, is at the intersection there of, of uh, 205 and Stark, where I met Terry and did this thing, uh, the Taco Bell is on the intersection of Washington and 205, just one block away. So from the very first time I rejected what I heard God tell me to do, uh, now, eight years later, at the pretty much the exact same intersection I was able to actually do. And it was, so it was kind of this closure in my life. It was really cool. But the thing is, uh, I just took the second to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to stop and talk to him. And did it change his life? I don't know. Did he have food that night? Yeah, he had some peanuts and M&Ms and raisins. I mean, is that sustenance? Yeah, I guess. But I was able to share the love of Christ with him, which is really cool. And so the question I would ask you guys, uh, is, is our gospel big enough that it can welcome everyone? Is the gospel that we preach big enough that it can welcome everyone? Because the thing is, we as Christians, we get very, uh, very aggressive and very accusatory very fast. And we get ready to throw rocks. Uh, very, very fast. Uh, and, and so are we, are we in a place where we are big enough to welcome everyone, regardless of their level of lostness? And uh, I say that very much in quotation because there's, there's no such thing. Um, are we willing to be at a place where we tell people you're welcome here, you're home here, you're family here, you're loved here? Um, uh, and, and I believe that's where we need to be as, as a church. Uh, but even more so than a church, that's where we need to be as individuals. If we go to a church that's like that, it's still easy for us to be accused or just coast in the pew and not say anything, but just sit there staunch like, hey, this is cool, my church does this, so I guess I officially do this, so check that off the list. I don't actually have to talk to anyone. But no, this is where we should be as people, because this is what Jesus did. Jesus stooped down. He got in the dirt. He got in the mess, and he shares grace. And so the crazy thing about this uh, is, is Jesus, um, I heard one pastor put it this way, and I said, if I ever preach on this again, I'm going to use this line because I thought it was really cool. Uh, but this pastor said, Jesus is the great leveler. And I was like, wow, that's pretty sweet. Um, and because the thing is, even what Jesus is doing in this moment, he stooped down on the ground and he's low. And then the accusers are standing tall with their rocks. Even just the way their body position is, their mannerisms are show who's an accuser and who's an advocate. Jesus is down in the dirt, down in the dirty. These people are just standing all staunch and, and, and pompous, like, look at me and their arrogance. And the thing is, Jesus preaches grace just with the way he even presents his body. And, and um, the Bible tells us they'll know who we are by our fruits. I mean, even the way we just present ourselves, our body language can preach the gospel to people. And uh, I, I think that's something that's really key. Um, but you notice that it's not the world that's doing the rejecting. It's not the world that's doing the accusing. It's not the secular group that's doing the accusing. It's the religious people who are doing the accusing. It's the pastors. It's the priests. It's the prophets. It's, it's the religious people who never miss a Sunday who are doing the accusing. And that's something that we can very easily fall prey to is becoming that accuser. I am better than you because I go to church. I am better than you because I... Say my prayers before I go to sleep, but here's the thing, you're not better than anyone. We're all the same. The thing that's better is Jesus, and He's free to everyone. And so that's just something I want us to be thinking about. These guys, they would stand tall and proud with their rocks and hands, but here's the thing, at the words of Jesus, He levels everything. He brings it down to this. He says, hey, we're all the same. 
you who is without sin in your life, hey, you can throw the stone first. Hey, if you aren't struggling with this, if you if, if you don't got anything wrong, if you're doing perfect, hey, you throw the stone first. And what do you see? You see they begin to murmur amongst themselves. It says here uh, in verse 9, that they begin to murmur amongst themselves and with their own conscience. And they're like, yeah, I am. I struggle. I do the same things. God, forgive me. And they all begin to leave. From the oldest to the youngest, they all begin to leave. Um, and the thing that I would point out, uh, I know I already pointed it out just a second ago, uh, but we don't need, uh, our, our city doesn't need, uh, our state doesn't need, our country doesn't need, our world doesn't need any more churches uh, that stand up in their arrogance of religion, their arrogance of, of, of just really pride, uh, who stand there with rocks ready to throw at people. We don't need any more churches like that. Uh, we don't need any more Christians like that. Uh, and I want to challenge you guys, uh, because here's the thing. You can make the conscious decision. You put your faith in Jesus. You have experienced his grace, and now you can go share that grace with the people around you. We don't need any more pompous. We don't need any more arrogant. We don't need any more, I am better than you because I don't do that. What is it that you do do that is do-do? It's a crappy situation. I know. But, man, you see what I did there. All right. Uh, But literally, what, I mean, we all have crap in our closets, right? Let's be honest. We do. And if people found out about it, our level of savedness would be shattered. And so, who are we to hide behind these masks of, well, you know, this person. Wow. If only you could see what they do on Tuesday. Oh, that person, man, I can't believe what they do. I mean, we're just taking jabs at people. Is that what Jesus did? Did Jesus go around and say, man, <laughs> hey, Peter, you see what the tax collectors were doing last night? I can't believe that. No. No, that's not what he did. He said, hey, I'm going to go hang out with the tax collectors. I'm going to show my love to them. We need to be those who help the broken. We need to be those who help those who are in pain. We need to be those who help those who are lost. Those in need, we need to be helpers of them. We should not look away from them, look the other direction when we see them. Oh, I don't want to make eye contact because he might start walking toward my car, turn my eyes the other way. No, we should be the people who run to those people. We see someone in need, we should run to them. We see someone broken, we should run to them. We see someone who who is, is hurt, who is in need of someone to stand up for them, we should run to them and show them the love of Christ. Because if, if, if anything, I mean, that's what we are called to do. That's what we are called to do. When we say, I am a Christian, we are saying we are little Christ. We are ambassadors of Christ. We do what Christ does. And if we're not, we're liars. And what does the Word of God say about liars? That there's no liar will enter the kingdom of God. I'm not God. I don't make all those decisions. But here's the thing. I don't want to show up. When I die, I don't want to show up and God say, yo, Matt, what were you doing? You went around saying you were a follower of me. Yeah, you preached. And sometimes, Matt, you actually preached all right. But then what you did with your life did not reflect what you taught. 
Oh, you remember that time, Matt, when you saw that person in need and you looked the other way because you didn't want it to mess up your day? I mean, that would be the most heartbreaking thing to show up and have God say those things. I mean, I want to show up and have God say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to make the most of every single opportunity. I don't want to be the person who's standing there who sees Jesus and like, hey, what's up, Jesus? Jesus just stoops down on the ground and starts writing every time I failed him. That's not the kind of person I want to be. That's not the kind of follower of Christ I want to be. That's not the kind of representation of Christ that I want to be. The church is a place that should be a hospital where people who are hurt, people who are broken, they can come and they can receive health and wellness. Is it is it hard... Um, is it, is, it, is it hard to think uh, of a place uh, where all God's followers, or everyone who says they're Christian, where this is who they were? To me, it's, 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 it's hard to think of a place um, where everyone's like, hey, let's be an advocate. Let's be uh, someone who helps um, those who are in need. Because cause we just don't see that. Uh, we don't see that in America. Uh, I, we're, we're blessed here at Hillside. We do a lot. Can we do more? Yeah, we can do a lot more. Uh, each one of us, uh, I know most of you. Some of you are new, and, 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 and uh, I don't know you well, but I know a lot of you well, and I know a lot of you guys. Uh, you guys are like this. You're like, hey, I want to help those who are broken. I want to help those who, who are hurting. Uh, and I think that's awesome. I think we need to continue that. Um, when we see people who are hurting, when we see people who uh, are going through hard times, uh, we should be the people uh, who seek to defend them. We should be the kind of people uh, who seek to believe the best for them. When we see someone who's down and out on their luck, we should be like, oh, yeah, that's probably another crackhead, you know, and he's just standing there at the sign. With it. He's got a sign asking for money so he can go buy a booze. I mean, how many of us, we think that? I mean, it's real. That, that, I, I mean, that's how we think. I don't know why that's how we think. I think it's because somewhere in our fallen state, we're just prideful, we're just arrogant, we're just, uh, we are accusers. That's just how we are. We like to pick up stones. Why? Because it's easy? No. I mean, have you ever picked up a big stone? Uh, it's actually heavy. It's hard. It's a burden to be an accuser. And Jesus says, hey, lay down your burdens. Take on mine. Because mine, mine's easy. You see, it's actually easier to be an advocate than it is to be an accuser, but we get so caught up in the accusingness that we forget how easy it is just to love people. And I think God's Word challenges us to love people. To love people. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then, love your neighbor as yourself. And here's the thing. Let me get a little bit green on you. Uh, we all share the same earth. Ooh. So we're all neighbors. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. But when we don't, we're not following God's commandment. First John tells us, hey, if you love me, you will do my commandments. And then it throws the tagline just because God does this to us. He says, and my commandments are not hard. God tells us it's not hard to love him and love people. But when we say we love God, but we don't love people, then we don't love God because we are liars. 
You can't pretend to love God. You can't pretend to be a Christian. You can't pretend to do all this while you flat out reject and deny the fact that there are people who are dying, people who are broken, people who are hurt, who need Christ. If you just turn the other way, are you truly a follower of Christ if you just look the other way? I told you I'm not going to make that decision. That's God's decision to make. And, and, and I know that if you confess and believe, you're saved. I know, but the thing is, James tells us that faith, faith without works is dead. we got to put some action behind what we believe. I know it's not the works. I know it's not the law. I know none of that's what saves us. It's grace that saves us. But we got to put some action behind what we believe. I'm backing into this. There's a lot of people today and in the past few weeks and maybe even the past few months who have welled up with this sense of pride. We are the 12th man. They're like, oh yeah, my Seattle Seahawks, they're doing good. They're going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, Seattle, woohoo, I am a Seahawks fan. And most of these people I've talked to who say they are Seahawks fans, I say, oh, yeah, you remember Sean Alexander and Matt Hasselback? And they're like, no, who's that? Is that a coach? I'm like, no, you idiot. That was your quarterback and running back who brought you to the first Super Bowl you went to. But you don't know who they are because you are a bandwagoner. Are we bandwagon Christians who are just like, hey, yeah, you know, God sounds good. Helping people doesn't. But God sounds good. No, that's not what we're supposed to be. He wants us all in. He wants us, I mean, Revelation 3 says, hey, I don't want you to be lukewarm. I'd rather you be hot or cold. Because if you're lukewarm, you're disgusting, and I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I don't want to have God spit me out of his mouth. Being an advocate, being someone who stands up for those who are in need, someone who stands up for those who are lost, someone who stands up for those who are hurt and for those who are broken, that's what it means to be a Christian. Because that is what our Savior did, that is what our Savior was, and that is what our Savior is continuing to do through us when we do this. When we stand up for people, when we say, hey, I'm not going to throw the stone, I'm going to stoop down, I'm going to get in the dirt, I'm going to get in the disgusting with you, and I'm going to be there to help you, that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. You can be the smartest person when it comes to the Bible. You can have the entire Bible memorized. You can do it like you could know everything, but 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that if you know all those things, you speak with tongues of men and angels, you prophesy, your faith is so strong that it can move mountains, but if you don't have love, it's nothing. It's nothing, and we need to be people who love. Jesus didn't come as an accuser. He says to her, hey, woman, I don't come here to accuse you. Your accusers are gone. Go and sin no more. Here's the thing, guys. She experienced grace that day. And I don't know about you, but I definitely know about me, because I know me better than anyone knows me. Uh, and I remember when I experienced grace for the first time. And I remember times I've experienced grace since then. Um, and here's the thing, we have that opportunity to extend grace to people. Because it's grace that saves. 
Law doesn't save. Religion doesn't save. Legalism doesn't save. Being a good person doesn't save. Uh, grace is what saves. Grace and grace alone. And God's Word says, freely has it been given to you, and as freely you receive, so now you have received, you freely give. God didn't have to give you grace. God didn't have to give me grace. But He did. And now I know it, and I want to live in it. And since He's given it to me freely, now I freely give it wherever I go. And if that's not who we are as followers of Christ, reality check. Reality check time. You heard it said, check yourself before you wreck yourself. We're going to change that up. This is on the spot. It's not in my notes. We're going to change it up. Don't check yourself before you wreck yourself. Uh, if you're claiming to be a follower of Christ and you're not living for him, check yourself before you heck yourself. How about that? Yeah? Yeah, write that one down. Uh, because that's real. It's real. It's easy to fake it and end up on that day you die and you realize, wait, what am I doing down here in the flames? We're told the Bible there is going to be those in the last days who say, Lord, Lord. And he says, man, I didn't know you. Get away from me. You servants of iniquity. Get away. But we really got to check ourselves. And we got to live the way Christ intended us to live. Because here's the thing. He not only intended you to live that way, but he gave his life so that you could live that way. He purchased your life with his blood, the grace that he has for us, the mercy he has for us, the blood he shed, he purchased you so that you could go show grace to that person. To that person. To that person. Had anyone stopped and talked to Terry that day? I don't know. Probably not. But I did. And I don't want to get patted on the back for that. I'm just saying, I said, hey, you know what? I've been given grace. I'm going to go give grace to this guy. If the statistic is right, there's a good probability that he said, man, someone gave grace to me, I'm going to go give grace to someone. And it just starts this perpetual chain of giving grace. What if we were a church? What if we were a young adult group that was known as being people of grace, people of love, and we went and we shared with people the love of Christ, the grace of Christ, and then they said, man, that's awesome. I see it in action. Now I'm going to go do it. I'm going to go show up. And we begin to see this chain reaction happen in this area. And we begin to see houses and homes in Happy Valley and Milwaukee and Gladstone and Oregon City and Southeast Portland and Gresham. We begin to see people start saying, I want to be all about grace. I want to be all about love. I want to be about this Jesus who loves people. And we begin to see true revival. Here's the thing. We so often in the church, we pray for revival. We pray for awakening. We say, God, come and do a crazy work. When he's saying, hey, you're here to go do the crazy work. What are you waiting for? <clears throat> and I think that's what he's saying. He's saying, what are you waiting for? I mean, that's it. I, I mean, I, I, I can be done. Because we used to say, hey, let's go do this thing. And the cool thing is, and I'm going to close with this, he doesn't just throw us out to the wolves. All right, good luck. I've told you what to do. Go do it. Come back when you're done. No, he says what? He says, 
Go into all the world and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And guess what? I am with you until the end of the age. Y'all, you're not alone. Yeah, we got safety in numbers. We got a group. We can go do this as a group. But even if you are by yourself, you're never alone. If you put your faith in Jesus, he's right there with you. And he's saying, hey, let's do this thing together. Let's do this thing together. If I had to play in a tennis doubles tournament, best partner is Jesus. How much better would he be in going and changing the world? So let's partner up with the guy who said, I'm already with you, and let's go change the world. And it starts with us just showing grace to that one person, being an advocate for that one person, seeing the rocks that are in our hands and dropping them and saying, I'm no longer an accuser. My attitude has changed. My spirit has changed. And I am going to be someone who loves, cares for, and tends to the brokenhearted. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much. God, that you loved us. God, you first loved us. God, in our lostness, I guess there's only one level of lostness, uh, and that's total separation from you. Ephesians tells us that uh, we were completely separated. We were cut off. We were in darkness. We were alone. There was nothing. But you and your infinite wisdom saw fit that we could become sons and daughters of Christ. God, and you've adopted us. You've chosen us. God, you've elected us for this cause, for this purpose, to be your ambassadors uh, here on earth. God, I pray that you would equip each and every single one of us to do the work, to do the work, and be that advocate, be that person who helps those who are in need. God, give us eyes to see those who are broken. Give us eyes to see people the way you see people, God. May our hearts break. Such a crazy prayer to pray. But God, may you break our hearts. The brokenhearted. God, may we lose sleep. Another crazy prayer. God, may we lose sleep thinking about those who are hurting, those who are in need. God, and may there be something welling up inside of each and every single one of us that cannot be quenched, that cannot be sustained until we do what you have called us to do. God, for the person here tonight who has a friend in their class, who you've been prompting them, hey, go talk to this person, go talk to this person, go tell them about my love, but they've just been sitting in the class. I don't want to, God, this is awkward. I don't know that person. Uh, I don't know if I should do it, God. For that person, I pray right now that you would put something in their heart right now and they would do it even tomorrow. God, for the person who rides the bus, public transit, whatever it may be, and they see the same person on there every single day and they think to themselves, man, I should probably tell that person about Jesus, but I got to get up. I gotta walk to the other side of the bus. God, I pray you prompt them. They would do that. God, they would step out. God, for each of us, give us opportunity. Wait, let me rewind that phrase, God. You already gave us the opportunity. Give us the eyes to see the opportunity. God, may we be people who are about our Father's business. God, may you just well something up with inside the hearts of everyone in this group. God, that we would be a group who loves people. 
God, because you first loved us. God, may we not look at people and say, they've done this, they've done that. I can't believe that person. God, but may we be people who see the lost. God, we carry the hope inside of us and may we share the hope. God, forgive us when we sit in booths and restaurants as we watch TV or we look at Twitter and we see a celebrity or we see an actor or an athlete and we make fun of them. God, forgive us for that because you would never make fun of them. God, you died for them. Who are we to laugh at the person you love and you gave your life for? God, I pray that you continue to do a work in our heart. God, for some here, even as I prayed before the service, that you would soften our hearts. God, I never pray that before a service. You know that, and this group knows that. Maybe there was someone who was thinking, man, why is he praying that? God, I pray that that heart would have been pulverized and softened so much, God, that when they hear this word tonight, God, that is coming from you, God, it would do something in their heart. God, and our hearts would be changed. God, may we, I pray it every week, but God, may we truly leave this place different than when we came. God, may we not come back to this place the same. God, if we, if we haven't been changed, there's no point in coming back. We can close the doors of this if we're not changed. But God, we want to be changed. We want you to do a work in our hearts and in our lives. God, if for anything, just so that we could see a work be done in someone else's life. Your word tells us there's no greater love in this than to lay down a life for a friend. God, you lay down your life for us. Thanks for demonstrating that love towards us while we were still sinners. But God, may we take that verse. There's no greater love than this than to lay down a life. God, may we die to ourselves. May we die to our egos. May we die to our arrogance, our religious elitism. May we die to that, God, and may we go love someone. God, may we be known as Jesus people who love, who give grace, who give mercy. God, we don't want to be known for having the coolest building. We don't want to be known for people who are uber smart in their Bibles. God, we want to be known for people who love people and share the love of Christ. God, we thank you and we praise you. Go with us as we go from this place this week. God, and may we all come back next week. God, may we come back with testimony. God, for that person who's got the classmate and that person who's on the bus. God, I believe that's prophetic. I don't believe I just pray those things just because they sound good. God, I believe there is a person here uh, who, who those circumstances line up with. God, I pray that that person has a testimony, uh, God, of what you did and God, how you used them. God, we thank and we praise you. Go with us as we go from this place. God, we just pray all these things in your son's wonderful, beautiful name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.